light. It illuminates, it reveals, it exposes everything. It lights the path and it shows the way. But without light, everything is hidden. And in the dark, our secrets are safe. Hurts, fears, wounds, sins, shortcomings, realities that we would rather avoid. Darkness provides a measure of safety and security. But it is a lie. Darkness may hide the truth, but it cannot change it. And the truth is that you were made to shine, to reflect the divine light of a Savior who entered into the world, to shine on our communities and neighborhoods, on our friends and on our families. We exist to shine because light has come and the darkness cannot win. I don't know if you've ever been in complete darkness. We've got some exit signs and some light pouring in, but maybe you've been camping under the stars where it's a new moon and all you have is the starlight. Maybe you've been awake late at night in the house to go to the bathroom with not a light on that you can see. Maybe it was in a church service, something like this. There's something a little disorienting about the dark. Strange noises, things that we don't notice when our senses are dulled, when our eyes are dulled and our ears kind of fill in the blanks between what we hear. It's no wonder that as children and maybe sometimes as adults that we're afraid of the dark. There's something, though, about the darkness, and that's that it's easily defeated. One pinprick of light, and all of a sudden, a disembodied voice is just your pastor on stage with a big fluffy beard, not a monster in the corner. Darkness has a way of disorienting our senses, making us see things that aren't there, but light clearly illuminates and paves the way forward for us. We'll bring back up the house lights. I won't make you sit in the dark the rest of the morning. But we are embarking on a pretty big endeavor for us as a church. We've been building some vision statements, some words that we kind of build around uh, the things that we're doing here and why we're doing them. And so this series is a result of us explaining those things. We're calling it Shine because that's one of the core reasons that we feel like God has called us to be in this place, in this neighborhood, in the ways and areas in which God has called and equipped us to be. So we're going to launch into this series. We're going to spend some time uh, doing that, but I just want to take a moment here at the onset of this series to, uh, to be a little bit crystal clear with what we're talking about. This series for us uh, is kind of a new direction. It's a new launching pad. It's words and terms that we've been using, but we're hopefully going to put uh, some pedal to the pavement, as they say. We're going to actually start having our actions match up with these things. And so this series has a way uh, of hopefully stirring up some of maybe those presuppositions or things that we assume are in place at not only a church, but this particular church, and going to find some opportunities to invite us into new spaces. And some of that may be new. Some of that may be scary. You may find yourself going, oh, we've never done that before, or I'm unsure about that. Some of it may be a reflection back to what's happened in the past at this church or what's happened in the past through the tradition of the church, maybe not this specific one, but as a corporate people that follow God. And some things may be radical. You may find yourself disagreeing with or unsure about. And I just want to remind us of a simple truth this morning that kind of as we lay out these footsteps, as we lay out this path forward, that the reality here 
is that this is going to be a defining moment for us as a church. I hope it's a defining moment for us individually, but certainly for us corporately. And we are blessed and privileged to live in a place where we're free to worship God, where we're free to engage in multiple worship styles. And so this may be a point in time where you find yourself not quite aligning with the vision and direction of the porch. I just want to give you the freedom at the outset of this message, at the outset of this series, to know that that's okay. That we believe that there are multiple churches in and around us that are doing God's work. We believe that they love Jesus just like we love Jesus. And so as we lay out these core fundamental beliefs and values and purposes that will define our church going forward, the invitation for you is to find yourself in them and to come along for that journey. But if you find yourself not aligning with this vision, not quite feeling, not quite thinking that this is maybe where God has you, I want to affirm you in that thought process and to say that we just want to bless you. This is who we're called to be as a people. This is who we feel like God is inviting us to be. And if that's not you, it doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus. And hopefully it doesn't mean that we don't love Jesus. It just means that we're not quite on the same page with our local expression of that. So those are some big, scary words, and I'm not trying to freak anybody out. Uh, if you've been coming to the porch for a long time, you might be going, there's a weird painting in the corner. Pastor turned off all the lights and is playing with fire. Now he's kicking people out of the church. I'm not quite sure what's going on this morning. We maybe need to have an intervention. I promise everything's fine. Um, but I just want to have this conversation up front because, again, we're going to be having some serious conversations here over the next week. If you're a guest, you may be equally freaked out. I'm sorry. Uh, you stepped into a family room conversation uh, that you're absolutely invited into, but it was kind of more directed at people who call the porch home. So if this is a church for you that you call home or you're still wrestling with that, then you're invited into this conversation and we're going to unpack over the next four weeks where we feel like God is leading us, how we feel like he's called and equipped us to be his church here in this place and at this time in this unique local context and hopefully to invite you to join us in what God is doing here and as we impact the world around us. So here is the really good news for you throughout this series. I'm not going to tell you anything new. If you've come for any length of time and you heard me do the announcements one time, that's all I'm going to be talking about for this entire series. So I said it this morning, right, that we exist to shine the light and the love of Jesus Christ, that we do that by inviting people to belong to a family, to grow in their faith, and ultimately to give themselves away. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks. So you've heard it all right now, right? You can take your pass and just, you know, watch Denver football here. They don't play today, I know, but they play in a couple weeks. Um, but as we go forward, that's what we're going to be focused in on. It's not new information, but what we do need to talk about is how that information shapes and affects who we are as a people. The things that we do, the things that we don't do, the ministries that we're involved in, and the ways in which we invite people to step forward into those. Because the reason that we are here, and every iteration of that, and everything that we do, and the reason that we feel like God has called and equipped us to be in this place is to do just that, to shine the light and the love of Jesus with the world around us. This is why we do worship services together. This is why we have uh, CCLC, Centennial Christian Learning Center, our learning center that's attached to this place Monday through Friday. It's why we do dollar car washes and it's why we do chili cook-offs. We are here to shine the light of Jesus with the world around us. It's our reason for existing. It's the very reason why I get out of bed in the morning, why I come to work here, why I believe so passionately in this group of people is because I think we're here to shine a light into the world around us. 
Now, maybe you're new to the porch. How many of you guys maybe were, have been a part of this, right? But whenever you maybe invite friends or whenever new people are here, there's one question that I get really, really consistently, and it's, uh, why are you called the porch, right? Anybody ever had that question asked as you've told your friends? What's the deal with the porch? What does that mean? A close second is why.tv. Uh, and, you know, you may have seen that drive. That's our website, in case you didn't know. It's not .com. I can't tell you why it's not .com, other than the fact that it's expensive now. Um, but the porch church uh, is here. That's funny, guys. Am I too serious for you this morning? Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so, but the porch, why are we called the porch? What's the, what's the reasoning behind that? And so I usually give kind of two answers that I try to wrap up into one pretty package. Let's see how well I do. Uh, so in the early church, right, we look in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 5, and we see that these early Jesus followers, this is after Jesus has died and resurrected, and now he's back up in heaven. And, and we see that the early church meets at this place called Solomon's Colonnade, or Solomon's porch. It was an outside meeting space that was attached to the Jewish temple. It was a place where people could gather and congregate. It was religious in nature, but it was kind of like um, like the outside of the local Starbucks, right? It was kind of just connected and attached to, but it was a place where people would meet and greet and where they'd have community together. And so we get this picture of the early church who was coming to a place that was out and in the open, and it was attached to the Jewish temple, which for them wasn't a problem because Jesus was a Jew. He was a Jewish teacher, a Jewish rabbi, and most of them were Jewish. And so Jesus, they just saw as this iteration of the next step in God's revelation to the Jewish people. So they meet at this place called Solomon's Colonnade, Solomon's Porch. And this is where the church is birthed. It's out in the open. It's at places where people could easily walk by. At times in scripture, we see that most of the community knew exactly what was going on at that porch at that time. And they, were, they knew that God was moving there and in that place, in Solomon's porch. The other story that I try to tell about our name is if you think about uh, houses in the 1950s, specifically uh, in the south, uh, and you get this picture of like the big country house with the wrap around front porch, uh, or even as they move into the suburbs, right, the front porch uh, is this place where families would gather outside, but the point was not just to gather as family, it was a place for the family to connect with the outside world, to connect with the neighborhood. As people walked by, you'd say hello and invite them up for a glass of tea. As people were mingling around, the front porch was a place that you could engage in the neighborhood, that you could engage in the people out front, right? As opposed to the backyard, which is sealed off, kind of locked behind a gate. You've got to have an invitation. That's more for family and close friends. The front porch is a place where people could come and get connected. It was a place of openness and invitation. And so when people ask why the porch, I always tell those two stories because we seek to be in that middle space, to be a place that's out in the open that people know and can experience what God is doing here. And also that invitational piece to say it's a place where people can come in and be a part of what God is doing. It's a place where people can feel welcomed and where we as a family, as a church family, can reach out to the people who are just walking through life and perhaps looking for a spiritual place, a spiritual encounter, a place in which they could find a deeper connection. So the porch, I hope, and the reason why we're called the porch is to bridge that gap, to create this place where people can connect. Because a porch is designed to be a place that reaches outside of the family and to those who are not yet here. Which I think is a fantastic statement on the very purpose, not only that this church, but the church in general exists. The church exists for people who are not yet here. 
The church exists for people who are not yet here, people who are not a part of a fellowship, maybe people who don't even believe or have a concept of God or Jesus. The church exists for that purpose. The porch exists for that purpose, to be a place where people feel welcomed enough to come with their questions, with their presuppositions. Maybe they're not even looking for a church, but they're looking for a community and a connecting point. The church exists for people who are not here yet. If you want to know, this is why we value and why we have Centennial Christian Learning Center, CCLC. That's, for those of you who don't know, our daycare and learning center that meets in our building 6.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday, providing Christ-centered quality education uh, for the children in our neighborhood and the people around it. It's not because we need the money. It's not because we're bored. It's not because we don't have anything better to do. It's because our founding pastor surveyed the surrounding area and said, we're mostly made up of a demographic of dual-working income parents. What's the best way that we could serve that community? We could create a safe space for people to be able to come and for their children to receive quality care and a Christ-centered education. That's why we're proud to say that CCLC is among the most affordable, uh, with the longest hours, ministering in our area to children two and a half to five years old. We're super proud of that. We love our Christian family. We love our CCLC family and teachers. It's why we do events like the Chili Cook-Off that brings both of those families together so that we get an opportunity to grow and connect and minister together. It's a front porch. It's a porch swing for us. It's how we connect with people who may not yet know God and who may not yet have a place to call home. This is the reason why we do everything that we do is to be a front porch, is to be a light that shines into our neighborhood and to invite people into. Why do I make such a big deal about that? Because over time, churches have this really bad habit of turning inward. We stop focusing on people who are not yet here. We stop focusing on people who don't yet know Jesus, and we begin to focus on people who do know Jesus. We begin to do discipleship programs. We begin to do programming and staffing elements. Then we have to keep the doors open and the lights on, and and we begin to do all of these things that begin to prop up the institution of the church. And if you've ever seen this happen, if you've ever seen churches do this, the issue with that is that it's abandoned its fundamental call, which is to be a light that shines in the darkness. It's to be a place where people who do not yet know God come to find God. Now, I I want to be clear that as a church, we will continue to worship, we will continue to grow and to steward and to educate the body of believers, but our focus will not be on people who already know Jesus. The byproduct of us coming together as a church and worshiping together and us doing small groups and serving opportunities and all of those things is to strengthen and enliven our relationship with Jesus, to fan the flame of Christ in our hearts. Absolutely, I hope and I pray that that happens for every individual here and in any aspect of our ministry, but it's not the point. The point is that we would be a people who are following Jesus and who would teach other people to follow Jesus, that as Jesus disciples us, that we would disciple other people. This is what it means to follow Jesus, is that it's to be a disciple, to be a learner and a student yourself of Jesus, but then to walk along a path with others who do not yet know or do not yet know what you know about who Jesus is. This is what it means to follow God, to be a part of that, because there is no being a disciple without creating disciples. 
The church ceases to exist when we stop to focus on people who are not yet here and we begin to just focus inwardly on ourselves and the things that make us grow together. This is why the church matters, is not so that we can just be here on Sunday morning, but so that we can reach out into the world around us, which brings me to somewhat of a hard question for this morning, and it's simply, why are you here? Why do you choose to come to the porch? Why did you get out of bed this morning and decide to come here? Maybe some of you drove past multiple churches on your way here, and it's a really deep and profound question. Maybe it's simple for you. Maybe it's easy to answer. But why are you here? Because the reason that we exist as a church is not simply to come together and gather on Sunday morning. It's not just to come together and sing worship and to have creative expressions of our faith and to come together and to just remind each other that we're not alone in this journey, although all of those things are great and powerful and wonderful byproducts of the church. But the fundamental reality is that we exist for those who are not yet here. We exist to shine a light outside of ourselves and into the dark world around us because the reality is that where God is not yet present is darkness. Where God is not yet in his rule and reign in the world around us is darkness. Now, good Bible scholars that you are, you would, of course, remind me, well, God is omnipresent, which is a big fancy word that means God is everywhere, right? So we can say that God is everywhere, therefore light is everywhere, right? You with me this morning? A couple of you? Here we go. So, light is everywhere, right? How many of you guys got to see the eclipse a few weeks back? Anybody go see the eclipse? If you're in school, you got to see it. Anybody drive to see totality? Get to see twilight in the middle of the day? Super cool. You remember, though, that uh, maybe you got a, a pair of these super cool glasses, right? Anybody get a pair of glasses? Right? So what was the point of the glasses? You put them on so you could look at the sun, right? I'm going to just demonstrate for you. And uh, I... What's funny? I don't understand. Uh, I can't see any. If I look up at the lights, I can kind of make out the stage lights, but that's about it, right? And the point is that you can put these glasses on, look at the sun without damaging your eyes, and you can see the eclipse happening, right? So the point for us perhaps today is this, that if God is the light, right, if God is light and where God is not present is darkness and God is present everywhere, God is God's like the sun, He's up there shining. He illuminates everything that we see, everything that we do, everything that exists and comes into place here. We see and experience because of who God is. But I think when we're talking about people who do not yet know Jesus, even ourselves, it's like we're walking around with eclipse blinders on. And so we can't see the things that God has for us. It's designed to be able to see the sun, but they're not looking at the sun. They're just trying to go through life, and they're bumping into things. They're running into people. All they see is shapes and silhouettes. And Jesus comes to remove the blinders, to take off the things that inhibit God's light from entering into the human heart and into our human life. Jesus comes to take off the eclipse glasses and to say, look at the bright, shining world around you. Come and experience the goodness that God has for you. And so when we talk about the fact that God's light is everywhere, that's true, but too many people are walking blind through life. Too many people are walking around in darkness, whether it's of their own choosing or they just simply don't know anything else. But the reality is that God and Jesus invite us to be a people who walk alongside people in darkness and invite them into something bigger and brighter, invite them into a world of vibrancy and color and texture that they're simply not seeing because they're not seeing it through the light of Jesus Christ. 
Now, if you saw a complete stranger or you saw me walking around with those eclipse glasses, you might not be bold enough to stop them because you'd think they were a little cuckoo, right? Uh, if you're wearing your eclipse glasses in the middle of the day, it might not be a person you approach on the street. You know what I mean? Um, but the reality is that so many people exist in this half-awakened state of life of thinking that we're having life to the full, of living the party life, of doing everything that Colorado has to offer us throughout the weekends and climbing and camping and packing trips and all of those things which are all great and wonderful. It's just not the point. And they're more enjoyable when viewed through the full light of God's creation than through eclipse glasses that only let you see a shadow of what's really there. And the problem is that, that we don't see people walking around in life that way as the ones that are crazy. We're often viewed as the ones that are crazy for believing in this God that we can't prove, for trusting in some old archaic book that's over 2,000 years old that we can't empirically prove and people point at us and say that we're the crazy ones as they walk around with their eclipse glasses on. And, and here's one of the fundamental issues that I think is at risk here as a church. I'm not sure that Jesus called us to be right. I'm, I'm not sure that, that Jesus calls us to advocate political processes one over the other. I'm not sure that Jesus is a member of a political party. I'm, I'm not even sure that Jesus would endorse the things that we claim to endorse as followers of Christ. I think that Jesus calls us to transcend all of those man-made barriers, all of the things that kind of come in between people. I think that Jesus calls us to love people regardless of where they fall in the social system or regardless of political party or uh, nationality or any of those things that God gives us a way to be a people that live in his light and to go to all people everywhere and help them take off the blinders. And as a matter of fact, I don't think so. I know so. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you brought them, Matthew chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible and you'd like to follow along, it'll be on the screen, but I encourage you to slip your hand up. Our ushers are walking around with Bibles. They'd love to let you borrow a Bible this morning. If you are going to use one of those Bibles, uh, it's on page 456. 456. If you don't believe me, raise your hand and you can see if I'm pulling your leg or not. But uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking here. It's a collection of teachings, really, that Matthew kind of condensed into one place for us. It's some of Jesus' most famous sayings. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I don't see a lot of positioning in that language. I don't hear a position on global warning. I don't hear a political party endorsement. I don't hear a scientific explanation for why hurricanes are in Florida right now. I, I do hear a statement about people. I do hear Jesus very clearly saying to his followers, you are the light of the world. 
Which this is a profound statement just in and of itself because these are people who are just listening to Jesus. If we follow through the Gospels critically, they might have just been listening to Jesus for the free food or for the fact that he just healed them or for the fact that they wanted to be healed. But these are groups of people who have not yet received the Holy Spirit, who Jesus has not yet redeemed. This is pre-resurrection, pre-death on the cross. And it's spoken by Jesus who is the actual light of the world. Do you remember this in John, the first chapter? John has this beautiful illustration about who Jesus is. He says that in the beginning was the Word, and he's talking about Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God from the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Nothing uh, without him, nothing was made that has been made. And listen, verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. Jesus is the light of the world, and he's addressing a fallen, sin-cursed people who are just there for the free food. And he says to them, do you know something? You're the light of the world. You're the, you're the hope of the world. Because you're here and listening to my teachings and because I am the light of the world, I'm indwelling that within you. I'm giving it to you to take up that mantle and to take up that mission to be a people that shine in the world around you. You are the light of the world because of your proximity to me, the true light of the world. Jesus comes to them before the Holy Spirit, before his death, and he says, you're the light. You carry the light within you. You carry the ability for people walking around in darkness, people walking around with blinders on to see something that grabs their attention, to see something that is more true and vibrant perhaps than anything they've seen in any other area of their life and to call their attention, not to you, not to your light, but to the light that you reflect in Jesus and in God. Right? That's what he says in verse 16. Our light shines before others, that they see our light in action and they glorify God, that they see the light of our presence, the light of our personalities, the work that we choose to engage in, and that they glorify God because of the light that we shine. He says, just like you can't hide a city that's up on a hill, right? There's no, there's no amount of camouflage that can stop people from seeing what's out there. Just as you'd put a lamp in the corner of a dark house on a table and it illuminates everything, he says, that's what you are in the world. Immediately preceding this, he has that great section on being salt and light to the world, and we're just following up on the salt portion of that. But here's the fundamental issue is that I think that too often we hide the light that we've received. We don't put it out there for people to see. It's almost an embarrassment. It's almost something that we choose to hide. And so if anything that we're saying as a church that I'm inviting you as a Christ follower to step into, it's to stop hiding the light. To stop being embarrassed about what we believe, to start trusting what Jesus has to say about us more than what any other voice in society or in our world might choose to say. Because faith is really downplayed in our culture, right? It's not empirically proven. It's not scientific in nature. And if you can't prove it, well, then it must not be real. And so all too often, our faith, our light, is encroached upon, is pushed back and out of the center of our lives. And instead of pushing back against it, we've kind of chosen to just believe what other people say about it, that our faith is marginalized, that we understand our place in the world and we're really okay with it. 
There's one small problem with that, and that's that nowhere, whether in science or in Scripture, does darkness encroach on light. No matter what we do in this place, we could cover the exit signs, we could turn off all the electronics, close every single door, we could be in complete darkness, and no matter what, darkness doesn't touch that light. It can never be so dark, it can never be so encroaching that that light ceases to produce exactly what it is meant to produce. What can happen, though, the light can run itself out. The light can extinguish itself. The light could not shine. But it's not an option for the darkness to overcome the light. Here's what I think that means for us as a church, for us as individual Christ followers. It's that darkness can't encroach on the light. The world, the scientific rational, everything else can't diminish our darkness. But we, of our own free choice and volition, can choose not to shine. We can hide it under a bowl. We can snuff it out. We can only bring our light out on Sunday and go with Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday without testimony and witness to the light that exists in our hearts and in our lives. But we are a light that God has revealed. Here's my, here's my case in point. I saw this tweet just a few days ago, and, uh, and it stuck with me, and I'd like to share it with you. It's a picture of an empty U-Haul, empty truck, the top, it says, this is the first, uh, first shipment of thoughts and prayers have just arrived in Houston. Good job, everyone. I got mad at first. Got bitter. And then my heart just broke. We took a moment of silence today, right? I hope that was significant for you. It was significant for me. The sum total that maybe your friends, maybe your relatives, maybe your neighbors, the sum total of what the world thinks that we're doing in this place amounts to an empty truck. It's no good. It's no help. It doesn't do anything to impact the real world around us. It doesn't have any impact on my life, and it certainly doesn't have impact on your life. This is the statement this is darkness encroaching on the light, trying to snuff it out and to say your light does not matter. The things that you do, the things that you believe in ultimately amount to nothing. I don't believe that's true. I don't think you believe it's true either. I think that it's time for us to engage the world around us to recognize what their perception is of us and to come at it full front and to say, no, that is simply not the case. Now, I could talk for an entire other message, and we will at length at some point, about the power of prayer and why I believe that prayer is valuable and worth it and impacts the world around us, but we simply don't have the space in today's message. But here is my takeaway as I read and reflect on that tweet in my own life. It's James 2.10. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Another translation says, I will show you my faith by what I do. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Church, it's time to shine. 
It's time to go out into the world and to push back the darkness. It's time to let our beliefs and the things that we claim to be true and the things that we believe to be true about this God that we serve and his love for the people around us, and it's time to make that not amount to an empty U-Haul truck. It's time to make that be something that matters and is significant. It's time for our light to be something that illuminates the people around us, whether they believe in God or not, and they see our good deeds, and they say, I don't know about that Jesus, I don't know about that God, I don't know about that Bible, but I know about that person. And that person shines a light that is brighter than themselves. Church, when I say that we exist to shine the light and the love of Jesus Christ, that's what I'm pointing at. It's not simply to fan the flame of our affections as we gather together and engage in worship, although we will engage in worship. It's not just to meet in small groups so that we have community and places to just be where Christians are. I hope we get encouragement and sustenance from those places, but it is not the point. The point of our faith The outpouring of what we believe must impact the world around us because we exist fundamentally for the people who are not yet here. We exist to shine the light and the love of Jesus Christ into the world around us. This is what we're about. This is why we're doing something for Hurricane Harvey today. As you exit, you'll have an opportunity to give to that. We'll do the same for Hurricane Irma. It's why we're partnering with Aswan Ministries over in Uganda and Rwanda. It's why we do the dollar car wash, which is just about a tiny pinprick of light in people's lives as they're driving by. It's why we do chili cook-offs and family fun nights. It's why we have a learning center. Everything that we do is not for ourselves. It's for the people who are not yet here, that people would see our good deeds, that they would see the light of our faith, the light of the God that we serve, and that they would glorify God because of it. Paul says something similar in Philippians chapter 2. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation that sounds a lot like darkness. He says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. As as we go about this life, as we shine into the darkness, I think that's the clearest picture that I'd like to leave us with today, is this idea that the darkness is out there like the blackness of a night sky. And that we have an opportunity to engage and to shine like stars in the sky because of our conviction and our following to the word of God, because of the fan and the the flames in our heart that ignite. That's what it means to shine. And so here's kind of our line in the sand, our invitation for you is that I mentioned we're going to be having some live painting. Our live painter was uh, out of town this week, so she gave us a canvas, and she's going to fill it in over the next three weeks as we gather together. But today, she's painted a night sky for us. She's painted that blackness of space, and she's giving us the opportunity to shine like stars, to come up and to place your mark on this painting. We're going to develop it over the next couple weeks, and it's going to hang in our lobby for as long as we're at church. And the the visual reminder of that is this conversation today, and actually the conversation that we have every single Sunday, that we exist to shine, that we exist for the people who are not yet here, that we exist to be stars that shine in the darkness. And so as you are given the opportunity here, we're going to sing two more songs, and you're invited to respond to that calling. 
If you believe, as I believe, that we are called and equipped by Jesus to shine into the darkness, then I want you to come up, and I want you to put your star in the sky. I want you to put a mark on something permanent that's a reminder, that's a a standing stone. An Ebenezer is what they're called in the Old Testament. It's a, a line that we're crossing today that says we recognize God's work in our midst. We recognize that we exist to shine, and I recognize my place within that. So you're invited to come up and to put your dot on the painting. If you're a guest this morning, maybe you're not sure this is your home church and you don't want to ruin the picture by coming up, let me just remove that barrier for you. If you're believing, if you're an individual follower of Jesus and you want to accept that very same call that God has equipped you to shine like a star in the darkness, you're invited to come as well. Again, this creates a moment, a moment of place in time for us as a church that we can point back to and to recognize our own individual involvement and to see it portray and develop further as we do what God has called us to do. He's been calling us to do for over 2,000 years that we would be a light that shines in the darkness and that the darkness would not be able to overcome it. That we would love people, that we would serve people, that we would go above and beyond ourselves and serve the people in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our families and beyond. Church, we exist to shine. I'll leave you with an ancient doxology that Moses wrote some 6,000 years ago. It's found in Numbers, and I'm confident you've heard it before. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. We have two songs to respond. You're welcome to come up at any point around this aisle. Melissa and Jen have some instructions for you and you can return to your seats. Come and shine. Follow 